I am here with Chris Whalen of Whalen Global Advisors, and we are here at a historic day. We've had the largest bank closing in the U.S. since 2008, and I think the second biggest ever. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, the ticker SIVB, has been taken over by the uh, Federal Deposits Insurance Corporation. And uh, yeah, it, it is no more. There was kind of a, a run on the bank. And I am so glad there's no one on earth I'd be rather joined by than Chris Whalen. Chris, everyone my entire life has been telling me that rate, uh, uh, higher rates are good for banks. And you stand alone sounding the alarm bell about what happens to the book value of banks when rates get, mm-hmm. get high. Just w- what, are you, what are your thoughts? Well, no, real bank analysts like Dick Beauvais or you know, Mike Mayo, they understand rising rates cause book value to go down. And when rates rise a lot, as we just saw with Silicon Valley Bank, then you have market risk. And that market risk has turned into credit risk and the bank had to be taken over. And this all goes to the feet of Jerome Powell and the members of the Federal Open Market Committee because they did this. There's nothing wrong with that bank. There was nothing wrong with Silicon Valley Bank six months ago, three months ago. And now they're dead. And by the way, shareholders lose everything. Creditors of the hold co may lose everything because they took over the bank. So that means the parent holding company, Silicon Valley Group, which is what most investors uh, know, uh, is no more. So that the chart that we're showing, I think, is from uh, yesterday of the stock going from you know six hundred a year ago to around thirty dollars. Is it confirmed? You know, now that's been taken over by the FDIC, is is that a zero? I don't know that it's necessarily a zero. There may be some recovery for the creditors. I don't think for equity, though. There's rarely any recovery for equity in a failed bank holding company. You know, the vendors are lucky to get paid. The FDIC, remember, the waterfall with a bank is different. They will pursue repayment for all depositors, whether they're insured or not. And they will pursue third parties. They are a receiver, just like a receiver in a federal court. And so they have broad investigative powers. But when you see them setting up a bridge bank, this new bank they set up this afternoon, that means they didn't have time to sell the bank. They literally had to stand up a a new bank with a new balance sheet, and they convey all of the assets into that vehicle that they either want to protect or you know eventually sell. And then the remainder stays in the old hold you know, the old bank, the estate of the bank. And all claims, everything gets killed in the receivership. So, and uh, so, are all depositors going to be made whole? I know there's a, yes. a officially. Yes. Okay, so yeah, officially, uh, only up to a quarter million, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is insured. So Correct. that would mean that if you have two hundred fifty-one thousand dollars, the first two hundred fifty thousand is safe. The next thousand, you'll probably get it back, but it's it's not insured. But unofficially, is it all? Is everything insured? What's going to happen is this, FDIC, if you look at their page on the website, they've already created a page for Silicon Valley Bank. And there is a T account there that shows you the progress of the receivership. The larger depositors over the insured amount are probably going to get a dividend, as they said in the press release, and then they're going to get a claim on the uh, receivership. FDIC tends to pay out broker deposits at at the close because they don't want to deal with them. And they don't want the blowback from the markets of having brokered deposits get crunched. But if you're a large depositor of the bank, say you're a business and you had uh, big transaction balances, things like that, they're going to work very hard to get you paid quickly because they understand. Um, and if they find a buyer for the bank that's willing to just assume all the deposits, then 
you know, they, they can take care of that. It's going to evolve over time. But the thing I want to say to all the depositors of the bank is the, FDIC, the FDIC is going to protect you. Uh, the other creditors, no. And I think if you're an equity holder of the bank, you are probably looking at a dead loss. Yes. And I, I think that a lot of people are getting worked up and there's a lot of uh, reason should. to be paying attention to this and to be worried, to be afraid even. But if you're a depositor, I just want to, you know, not, we're not fear mongering. Your money no, will no, be no. safe. Yeah. Listen, FDIC is the most important consumer agency in the United States and they're very good at what they do. Yes. Uh, during the 2008 crisis, they closed almost 500 banks without a single hiccup. And that was uh, during the tenure of Sheila Bear. And Sheila was smart enough to know that she needed to get out of the way, communicate with the public, communicate with other constituencies, and let the people at FDIC do their job. So it's just, this is tragic. There was nothing wrong with this bank. This bank failed because they didn't fully understand the implications of the Fed's actions, especially quantitative tightening. And now, you know, a good bank is gone. It, this shows you the, the downside of quantitative easing, the destruction that the Fed's reckless and insensitive policies are causing. The Fed should have known that when you concentrate all of the risk in the banking sector and the bond market into three points in terms of coupons on securities and loans, and then you move the market 600 basis points in terms of interest rates, you're obviously going to have a problem. A first-year banking associate can figure this out without a calculator, you know? But the Fed governors don't seem to understand these things. So we're paying the price for that. Right. And for folks who say, oh, a bank failed, I know what happened. They made bad loans. People couldn't no. pay back those loans. No. no. Yeah, that is not that was happened. What, what exactly happened here? What were the assets that were owned? And why were they so impacted by... Uh, rising interest rate. Why is the true culprit interest rate risk here and not credit risk? Because they owned a bunch of securities, Jack, that had zero risk weights. Under Basel II, a Ginnie Mae has a zero risk weight. Fannie Freddie's 20%. So you, you put the minimus capital down. But the, the move in the markets, the move in prices for fixed income instruments as a result of the Fed's actions essentially rendered the bank insolvent. There was a piece on Silicon Valley Bank in the FT. And even before that, this was three, four weeks ago, the short sellers had identified Silicon Valley Bank as an outlier in terms of the size of their securities portfolio versus the total balance sheet. And they could see the unrealized loss. They could see what was happening because of interest rates. So they just started selling the sh uh, shares short and the beer built up. You have a lot of early stage companies that bank with this bank, and they were afraid to leave their money there. So they pulled the money out and the bank collapses. It's just like the 1930s, okay? There's no difference. The only difference is the Fed has caused this problem because they are not sufficiently tuned in to the financial markets. You know, after 2008, the Federal Reserve Board basically emasculated the Fed of New York, destroyed all their surveillance capabilities and took everything to Washington. This is the result, Jack, okay? How do you think the Federal Reserve is feeling right now? The members of the FOMC, how worried about this are they? Terrified. Um, you know, if this turns into a major banking contagion next, uh, next week, Jack, uh, Jerome Powell's gonna have to resign. Um, and other members of the board maybe have to resign too, because this is a fundamental mistake 
they have misjudged the impact of their actions on the real world and the implications when you messed up the real world politically are rather severe. You know, we have a president who's looking to, to gain reelection. He's not going to appreciate this if we have a bank crisis next week. And by the way, let's forget about rising interest rates. I think next Monday, Fed's going to have to drop interest rates 50 bips, and they're going to have to open the discount window and just say, guys, we're here to take any collateral you have, and we're not going to look at the coupon. Okay? No haircut. They have to do things like that to get ahead of this. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem, Jack. Even at current interest rates, forget about raising interest rates. Even if we leave rates where they are, the banking industry has still got a solvency problem. And explain how the dominoes fall. I feel like for, for credit, it's easier to understand. You know, I lend money to you, you lend money to someone else. If I default to you, you're going to default on someone else. The, the dominoes start falling. But right. where are the interlinkages? Where is the contagion if, you know, Bank A owns a bunch of long-duration treasuries and, and mortgage-backed securities that have declined in value that they're not realizing? Mm -hmm. They're in trouble. How does that affect another bank that has the exact same holdings? Yeah. Well, th let me tell you a story. Uh, once upon a time, there was this crypto bank called Silvergate, and Silvergate was closed. Silvergate was a tiny bank. It had formerly been involved in the mortgage industry, so I knew a lot of the people there. They all lost their jobs, by the way. And so this little pebble goes rolling down the hill. But it was enough to start getting risk-sensitive investors to start worrying about their bank. Then you have a bank like Silicon Valley, which is already being attacked by the short sellers because they've made a mistake in terms of buying all of these zero risk, Fannie Freddie Ginny securities, which are now trading in the 70s, okay, 70s. So we just had this bank go down. We have First Republic under attack by the short sellers. So banks that have vulnerability here are gonna be attacked by the shorts. If the Fed doesn't stand up, and indicate to the market that we are going to address the problem, the problem will get worse. Because ultimately, Jack, it's about people worrying about having access to their money. And if you have to become a contingent creditor of the FDIC, while they try and get your money back and you have to wait weeks, well, you can't meet payroll, can you? Right? That's the fear that's driving this. No, that, that's a, a huge problem. And so uh, that is the asset side of, of the equation, Silicon Valley Bank. They probably own too many of these treasuries, mortgage-backed securities. Again, not credit Whatever. risk. It's, everything, it's everything in the fixed income world, whether it's a bond or a loan or a mm -hmm. mortgage on a commercial property, has the same problem, which is they have very low coupons. Nobody wants them, okay? You can't sell them except at a loss. So the Fed has embedded you know, trillions of dollars were the losses in the financial sector. And we're supposed to just deal with this and not complain. I think that, I think the Fed really needs to be held to account uh, by members of both parties on the Hill because, you know, quantitative easing was a mistake in many ways. We see with Silicon Valley what's happened. But keep in mind, too, that that is also constrained the Fed. The Fed can't fight inflation anymore. They mm -hmm. can't raise interest rates even to current levels. I think we're going to see rates go back down. And then this whole narrative about the Fed and their responsibility for defending us from inflation, that's all going to be finished. We're not even going to be able to talk about that anymore. 
Yeah, that's that's too bad. Chris, um, how much of Silicon Valley uh, depositors pulling their money out was because uh, Silicon Valley Bank was huge in this Silicon Valley business of venture capital deals. So if you know, a VC firm invested in a company, they, the company would keep their money there. Um, and the VC world, uh, you know, technology world is, is going through a lot of hardship, you know, as we all know. How much of that is specific? You know, uh, First Republic Bank, I actually it's, I live across from one. Uh, and I, I don't know if they're involved in you know, as many uh, sort of uh, VC deals. Uh, the, the short sellers who are attacking it or, you know, the people who are long who are just selling it. Uh, how, how risky? So, so all the banks have this asset problem, right? You know, JP Morgan is going to be fine. They're, they're, they, some people hedge, some people, you know, are a little, took too much risk. But on the liability side of, of depositors pulling their money, how much, how, how much risk do you see beyond Silicon Valley Bank? Well, it had nothing to do with the business of the bank, I don't believe. I think it was just fear on the part of their clients that they could not get access to their money. It's a basic payments issue. It has nothing to do with the fact that they bank tech firms. You know, Silicon Valley Bank didn't have a big loss profile on their credit book. They made money, frankly, both from lending and from non-interest uh, sources. They had a lot of different uh, touch points uh, with the technology world. So I think it was mostly people just fearful that the bank would be closed and they couldn't get their money. That's a basic fear. It's a 1930s kind of, you know, worry. Right. Okay. And so let's actually, you know, take a deep dive into these sort of assets of, of that Silicon Valley Bank owns. So this is from their balance sheet as of year end of 2022. And it's a mm -hmm. quite, quite small, quite small on the screen, but mm -hmm. they own something like $80 billion of mortgage backed securities. Right. Uh, just, just tell us how big, how, how large that is. And, you know, I think it's the, they had $200 billion of assets. So it's the second largest bank uh, ever that was shut down. Yeah, it's a, it's a large percentage. And it, it, it really stems, Jack, from the fact that they're not a big lender. So they had a lot of deposits come in from a variety of clients. And they decided, well, let's put these deposits in risk-free securities. Risk-free. So they did the right thing. But because of the manipulation of the credit markets by the Fed, this madness that the Humphrey Hawkins legislation has driven us all to, you know, 50 years after, uh, the bank is dead. See, the bank did the right things, but you cannot manage risk in a market that moves five or 600 basis points in a year. It's just nobody can do this. So if you're JP Morgan, you're going to take a hit. You know, Jamie had a negative equity position of $20 billion at the end of last year, according to our calculations. And we're going to publish our, our bank quarterly on Monday, which I guess is good timing. So, you know, the industry still had a trillion one deficit uh, at the end of last year. And I think uh, first quarter is going to be a little worse. So this problem is not going away. This is a systemic problem. It's this isn't just one bank the outliers in the group are going to get attacked first. And the short sellers are smart. You know, they do their homework. They're going to look at exactly what you just put up on the screen, Jack, and they're going to look for banks that have big securities portfolios. Yeah. Um, Chris, we'll put up a, a chart later of what the losses, the unrealized losses of mm -hmm. banks that, like you said, they flow through the other comprehensive income. So they're- Oh, you mean uh, Marty's chart, chart 13? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Char 13. Yeah, yeah. That was Marty Grunberg, uh, FDIC chairman. He's, he's one of the old uh, hands in Washington in the bank regulatory community. And I think that was a rebuke of Powell. Because when people saw that chart, they panicked. And they should. They should. So how do you think this, this plays out? You said the, the Fed has to cut? Yeah, if the Fed doesn't react quickly... I think uh, you're going to continue to see institutions subject to liquidity runs. You may see another bank fail today. Uh, and I think that the Fed needs to change the narrative very quickly, and they're going to have to eat some crow. I think Chair Powell has to get up in front of the cameras and say, look, quantitative easing, to the extent we did it, was a mistake. And now we have to dig our way out. And I think the Fed has to accommodate depositories. They have to accommodate other investors as they adjust, okay? Because we can't just go raise equity. I mean, there's not enough equity out there to raise. Uh, they're gonna need help and time. We need to buy time for these banks to work this stuff out. Explain how uh, quantitative easing uh, perturbed the, the, the world order in the market as you see it. Because I get it, interest rates are at zero, uh, so uh -huh. and there's all this cash, so banks buy uh, all these securities that are marked at $100, even you know with the coupon of one, and then suddenly interest rates go to 4.5%, and those things, as you said, the Ginny Mays are worth $0.70 cents on the dollar, and that is a, a big problem. That's why, that's Wait, why we're, well, we're, talk we're talking right. here today. But so I see that on the rates thing, but how does quantitative easing play in with that? And now quantitative tightening. Well, it plays in because during that same period, all sorts of companies and banks issued new debt. So we refinanced all of the existing paper that was out there down into these very low coupons. Okay. So the ability of the Fed to manage interest rates now has been constrained because they have created this crowded trade in interest rate exposure where everybody is long, very, very long duration securities. Okay, these are securities that have such a low coupon that the duration of the security is really approaching the nominal, the 30 years, right? Well, what do you do with a piece of paper like that when interest rates go up? First and foremost, the funding is underwater. If, you own, if you're a Silicon Valley bank and you own a bunch of Ginnie Mae twos and two and a halfs, and your cost of funds is higher than that, you're losing money. And so it's that funding mismatch. This is the 1980s all over again, okay? When Paul Volcker raised rates, he put a lot of SNLs out of business. So what Jay Powell is doing is the same thing, although this market, frankly, is so over-levered and so different from the 80s, I don't know that we're not gonna see something big break. And that's why I think that ultimately, you know, if the Fed doesn't relent and change the narrative and start really adding liquidity, we're going to see more bank failures. Incredibly, right? Because credit looks great. That's the irony here. Yes. Credit looks pristine, but it's on the interest rate and the market risk side that you have a problem. And uh, you know, how is it the savings and loans crisis? I, I you know, you go to Wikipedia. I think it was in the '80s and '90s. Oh. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if uh, Paul Volcker ever pivoted because of to to save the banks. You know, it's got no. oh, one bank here no. failed, one bank here failed. How come? And so it, you know, rates were high all throughout the eighties and you know and nineties. Obviously, they they came down from a peak in uh, I think nineteen eighty one. But how is it that the financial system now is so much more fragile that you know we're literally one. We're less than a year in. I think March fifteenth, twenty twenty two, is when no. you know, a year ago interest rates were at zero. How, how, how come the financial system is so fragile it can't even take a year of going to 
I think for a number of reasons, but the, you know, the key point about Volcker was he did relent. He did help the banks later. He allowed them to go off balance sheet. And this led us to the 2008 crisis, by the way, you know, Paul Volcker was never antithetical to big banks. Remember he was a Democrat from New Jersey. So, you know, they've always been, and he worked at Chase, I mean, for Christ's sake. Uh, But this system is different because the amount of risk that's held uh, by funds, by non-bank institutions, all of whom finance themselves with banks, you know, has added another dimension to the risk. And then, of course, you know, just the structural changes that the Fed made in the market, as we just described, the crowding of all of those bonds and uh, loans into a very tight band in terms of the coupon, it makes the whole system unstable. That's the biggest problem. You know, if I can't finance the paper that was created in 2020 and 21, then I have a problem. And it means I don't want to own it. And so not only do these bonds trade at a discount, they trade at a punitive discount because nobody wants to hold that paper now. They can't. They can't afford it. I think that's the big legacy of the Fed is that they have really messed up the structure of both the banking sector and the bond market. So you think that the Fed might cut rates as early as Monday? Wow. Uh, open the discount window, meaning that banks can Come lend, get their, it, guys. Yep. Banks can lend their collateral uh, uh, to the Fed. Maybe it's at a penalty rate. Maybe it's just at the, the 4.5% you know, in, in that range. Uh, so I, I don't want to say, say a name to pick, pick on them, but you know, Bank A uh, has all of this Ginny Mae paper, and it, mm-hmm. it can get cash from the Federal Reserve. That Hopefully. seems to me like a, a temporary <laughs> fix. Uh, is there, yeah. any way that, is there any way that in, you know, interest rates could get to 5, 5.5%, uh, but the, the Federal Reserve does all sorts of, rolls out all sorts of facilities to keep this sort of Frankenstein machine working, whether it's shadow quantitative easing, uh, mm-hmm. long-term yield curve control, just you know, immense amounts of liquidity in the uh, you know, high duration markets? You would have to fund the paper break even. In other words, you'd have to say to banks, whatever this bond is costing you in terms of funding, we're going to fund it at the coupon rate. So instead of making you pay 4% to finance at Ginny May 2, we're going to charge you 2. Mm. Now, the Fed will obviously over time lose money doing this, but I would argue that they should because, you know, they created this mess. Thank you very much. And do we sacrifice, you know, the entire financial system on the altar of the dual mandate of Humphrey Hawkins? I, I don't think so. So, you know, we need to step back and realize that the Fed has made some fundamental errors in judgment. And now these errors are starting to manifest themselves in the financial markets. And the only way we're going to get ahead of this is if the Treasury Secretary stands up there with Jay Powell and the other regulators and says, we're on it, we're dropping rates. And by the way, if you need liquidity and you're a bank, come and talk to us. The window is open. If that's not the message on Monday, Jack, then we have a problem. Do you understand? People haven't seen this kind of contagion in a long time. They don't understand how treasurers and others who have to you know, take care of their employees, take care of their fiduciary responsibilities react when they don't know if their bank is going to be open next week. Okay? That's a, that's a primordial fear. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chris, you know, I, I've – 
spoken with you often and you know i've this is probably the most worried i've, I've ever seen you been you're you, I, you know i've known you, you you're not someone to sound the alarm bell on every little uh up and down move of, of a chart you, you seem pretty concerned here and that means a lot to me well look I pick good banks. You know, somebody asked me yesterday, they were interviewing me about this and they said, well, Chris, people say you're, you're such a bear. And I said, yeah, I'm a bear, but I like to make money. And, you know, when I picked Western Alliance at the end of 2020, that was the best performing bank in 2021. And I was happy to own it. But obviously all the banks have gotten pounded today. They're all down. I'm looking at the screen. And, you know, it's unfortunate because I think most of this is caused by bad policy in Washington. And the policymakers need to eat some crow this weekend. And they need to be up early in the morning with their suits and their dresses on and be in front of those cameras to tell investors how we're going to make this problem go away. Right? And you don't see any way it can go away other than cuts? No. Mm -hmm. No, uh, you can help with funding. uh, As I described, the Fed can reach out to banks and saying, look, talk to us. Tell us what your deficit is on these assets, and we will help you make it up. It's like when we told the SNLs they could pretend they had capital. Okay, it's the same thing. We're replaying that movie. Yo, Chris, actually, so I just want to, uh, people can follow you on Twitter, and they should follow yep. you, uh, at RC Whalen. Uh, so here is an interview uh, we did last year, 10 months ago. And I, you know, you should be proud of that. I have to say I'm proud of that. Uh, oh, yeah. Where you say, the t- title, think ra- rising rates are good for banks. Think again, Chris Whalen. Um, uh, 10 months ago. And then this is you in your uh, institutional risk analyst uh, 10 days ago saying uh, the negative mark to market on the re- retained portfolio at Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, now threatens to wipe out the bank's actual capital. And uh, you know, un- unfortunately, uh, you turned out to be right. So just, just, yeah, just tell people a little bit about uh, the institutional risk analyst. And uh, you got a new bank book coming out soon? Yes. Uh, Monday, we are publishing our first quarter survey of the industry. We look at the FDIC data. And the interesting thing is, you don't have to guess about the future, guys. If you look at the data, it will tell you what's going to happen in the future. Banks move very slowly. Unfortunately, in this environment, we're moving very quickly. Um, You know, we're a consulting firm. I'm also an investment banker. I'm affiliated with a a little broker dealer here in New York that does mortgage finance, which is why I often have, you know, snarky little things to say on Twitter, because most of the people on the equity side have no idea about the fixed income world. And yet it is bonds ultimately and credit that determines the directions of markets. First, a final question I I promise is, so you're a bank guy, you've been working within, studying, loving banks your your whole life, you love banks. Uh, How, what do you think about the bank stocks right now? Like something like XLF, which owns JP Morgan, Bank of America, the the whole nine yards, I mean. Well, I don't make recommendations because I'm a banker, but I will tell you that I think this this period will pass. And a lot of people may look back on this period and say, geez, that was a nice buying opportunity. Most of the major benchmark names like JP are not down very much today, single digits. And I suspect that if people hear a voice in Washington that delivers understanding and compassion instead of the indifference and the insensitivity that we have seen from Jerome Powell in regards to markets, then I think it'll be okay. You know, I own mostly bank preferreds. I, I publish my portfolio in the, in our work pretty often. I did buy some Credit Suisse. I may go buy some more. 
Let's see. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. So, Chris, I know I said final question, but people did want me to ask you about Credit Suisse. What, what are your real quick? What are your thoughts? I bought it on a on a punt. I own mostly bank preferreds, but I figure the you know the government of Switzerland and the other shareholders are going to fix it at some point. But that could take a while. It's a highly speculative position on my part. But you know, I have a sense of humor. I bought Loan Depot too. That was probably a mistake. <laughs> yeah. And, and Chris, what about uh, Annalie, which is a leveraged mortgage REIT? So it, it likes uh, like the, the bank. They own all those things on leverage. Mm. Uh, yeah. What, I what do you just think about the mortgage-backed security market? And, and I guess yeah, are those um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank? Are those uh, MBS yeah. going to have to be sold? All of them? All eighty billion? No, no. REITs keep things. REITs don't don't generally sell what they buy. They they hang on to it. The key thing for them is funding. So as long as they have access to the equity markets, they can finance themselves and grow. I owned Annaly a couple of years ago, but I got out because, you know, in a rising rate environment, REITs are in a tough spot. I don't think any of them are going to implode. But, you know, if Powell doesn't get the message soon, we could see that, you know, and then we're in big trouble. If you start losing REITs, which basically float along the surface of the water in terms of interest rates, then, then we got real issues. Well, Chris, I'll say this. The blessing that we have is at least we have a weekend, you know? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and you and I get to relax. Uh, you yeah. know, some people in Washington and some bankers, maybe they you got to, you know, roll up their sleeves a little bit this weekend and work. Oh, uh, well, but, this, uh, next week coming up, I'm going to spend two days with a bunch of Ginny May issuers. That's going to be a fun time. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Love to be a fly on that wall. Well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this Friday afternoon. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Yeah, God bless. Forward Guidance, the program you just enjoyed, hopefully, can be viewed on YouTube at BlockWorks Macro or heard as a podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Episodes are typically released on Apple and Spotify a few hours before they air on YouTube. Please leave a review on Apple Podcast if you feel so inclined. Also, you can get 10% off to Permissionless 2023 and BlockWorks Research using code GUIDANCE10. Thanks again and be well.